square fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Welcome once again, friends, to the Gone to the Dogs podcast. Your host, Steve Fielder, here with you today. It's a nice, balmy 80-plus degrees in Florida where I'm sitting today. My guest is from the state of Georgia originally, uh, lives in Alabama now, and is in South Carolina as we speak. So he's a traveling man. We're very happy today to have... Uh, a gentleman that my brother introduced me to. I think little brother for that, and we're going to have a great conversation with Mr. Lee McBride. Before I bring Lee to the microphone, I want to do just a little bit of housekeeping this morning and thank our sponsor, W Hunting Supply, dusupply.com. Anything you need for your hounds or your hunting needs, those guys have it. They'll give you great customer service. I want to also remind you that each Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Facebook on my page, Stephen F. Fielder, there will be a Wheel of Names spin where we'll give away a Zep Lifetime Coon Squaller worth $30.00. Also, some other items there, stickers, lanyards, things like that. Check us out on Facebook every Monday. Uh, The way you get your name on the wheel to spin is by correctly answering the question of the week that's taken from the prior week's podcast. So uh, look me up on Facebook, Stephen F. Fielder. That's spelled with a P-H, and uh, you'll get all the details. Okay. That's uh, the bills are paid, and I want to introduce you right now to a fellow that I'm really looking forward to talking to today, Mr. Lee McBride. How are you, Lee? Good morning. Doing great, and I thank you for letting me be a part of the podcast. Oh, well, it's my pleasure for sure. And um, as we were talking earlier, my little brother, Randy, who's, uh, I think he may weigh more than I do, but he's still my little brother. <laughs> anyway, he, he's a great guy. I love Randy Fielder. Ah, uh, well, he feels the same about you, Lee. In fact, he has uh, introduced me to some of your uh, uh, videos and recordings and things uh, a long time back. And he told me about this poem that you've written, and we we definitely want to get into that as we go along. But as is the custom here, uh, my audience is primarily made up of hound hunters across the United States and in several foreign countries. And among those hound hunters, the majority of them are coon hunters. Some, yes, are, bear, some are bear hunters, some are, are rabbit hunters, some are fox hunters, uh, some are squirrel hunters, but they all love to hunt with the dog, and that's our audience today. But they're good salt-of-the-earth, down-to-earth people, and the kind of people I know that that you will certainly uh, resonate with. Let me get a little bit of background uh, about you, Lee. Just kind of tell us your backstory right. a little bit. Here, here, uh, so, uh, my dad, I'm a preacher's kid. My dad was had a, a very successful auto parts business when I was real little. He had a two two. He was half owner with his best friend, whose name was Tommy McBride. Everybody always thought they were brothers. 
but they were no kin, just best friends. Mm-hmm. And they had a fantastic business, two in Columbus, Georgia, and one across the river in Phoenix City, Alabama. And my dad, as a child and as a teenager, his dad worked so much. He he just he he didn't grow up hunting and fishing. So when my dad went in the Air Force, he he put he met some friends that put him on to hunting and fishing. And when he first started hunting, he was he was stationed in Montana. He hunted Alaska, but he fell in love with just hunting and fishing. So mm-hmm. I hunted and fished. My, I hunted and fished my whole life. I got you. And my and my dad always loved beagle dogs. Mm-hmm. That, all through his whole childhood, that was what dog was. He had a beagle for a pet, and, and so we carried that on. And uh, you know, my my dad ended up selling that business when he felt a call to preach went to southeastern so me and my dad went to the same bible college southeastern bible college in lakeland florida but my dad went when i was in the third grade and so i turned around not too long you know 10 years later and i i went there and then when he came back uh we just everywhere he served he served in his last church 28 years we just hunted and fished and and we always gravitated to to dog hunting uh, mm-hmm. but, but what really set me on fire were hound dogs. I, I just got to tell you the story. We had a man in our church. He's an older man named Alex Bush. I'll never forget him. And I'm 11 years old and they, some men from the church every morning or excuse me, during rabbit season w- would gather up and go hunting. And I was always too young and I don't know what happened. I had a, I had a bolt action <laughs> 20 gauge that mm-hmm. my dad bought at Sears. You remember that? Oh, them? yeah, I do remember that. Three shot, that, I believe. That's exactly right. <laughs> and it was full choke. And finally, I just kept on and on. He said, Today you can go. And I'll never forget, he just kind of kept telling me what to do. Now, when we get there, you, I'm going to put you something, you know, he's explaining it on my 11. And he and he put me in a brush pile and he threw some dogs in a thicket. And I mean, he could see me. I probably wasn't, but about, I don't know. When I was a kid, it seemed like a mile, but I probably wasn't 50 yards from daddy and he could right. see me. And I'll, I'll never forget this. They threw them dogs in there and one of them young dogs tried to run out and old Mr. Alex Bush, you know how they are. He, he just had his <laughs> own language and, and pick that dog up and threw him back in that thicket. And the first <laughs> rabbit to come out, run right toward me and stopped and I boom. <laughs> And them grown men made such a big deal that I killed the first rabbit. It just set me on fire. I mean, uh-huh. it, I, I was, you know what I mean? I was oh, king yeah. of the hill. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and we just, you know, from then we just always, we started out rabbit hunting. And then when I got in college, uh, Tommy McBride, who my dad was in business with, had a brother named Jerry McBride. He's one of the best coon hunters that anybody's ever hunted the Chattahoochee Valley between Columbus, Phoenix City, LaGrange, right through there along the Chattahoochee River. They'll know Jerry. He's had world-famous dogs, mm-hmm. and I just started going with him, and he he hunted walker dogs. Oh, yeah. And I'm just telling you, once – if, if it happens right – in the first few times you go, I mean, it's you're addicted. It might as well be crack cocaine. You can't get it out of your blood. <laughs> Tell me about it. Well, I'm going to stop you real quick and just kind of uh, jump in there on that 
bit about Southeastern University, and of course, back in the day, it was Southeastern Bible College. Right, I right. went there as well in 1966 and 67 was when I was there. I had already yes, gone sir. through a, a junior college in West Virginia and had my uh, associate's degree, and I came down to Lakeland. And uh, so we have we have an association or affiliation there, Lee, too. That, uh, and, of course, now that college has really grown and uh, is a university now, even has a football stadium, and it, oh, yeah. it, it's incredible what's been accomplished there. But Well, I mean, the athletic program is just unbelievable. They won the NAIA Baseball World Series last year, national champions. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And when we were there, it, I mean, this is no mark. I'm sure it was even more true when you were there. It, it really looked more like a youth camp than a college, but exactly. God really moved. God really moved down there now. Yeah. Well, when I went there, the enrollment was less than a thousand. Uh, yes. We had a men's dormitory and a women's dormitory, and there were a few little other little for married students, yeah. dwellings around there. And, you know, we didn't even have air conditioning in the dormitories when I went there. And uh, right. so it was, uh, but I made friendships for life. And, uh, well, I, you know. I, I'm the same way. I feel like I got a friend at every exit. And, <laughs> but it's just because if you're in the Southeast, it's because of the network of, of Southeast. And I'll tell you this, I'm, I ain't patting myself on the back. I, I mean this as a tribute to the school. The highest honor I have ever been paid in my life, the highest honor, is that in 2021, at halftime of the homecoming football game, they named me Alumni of the Year because of awesome. tell, telling my stories and my football talks. And I'm telling you, I cried like a baby. That was just such <laughs> a high honor to be recognized by, you know, your oh, peers. Oh, sure. I absolutely, absolutely. Well, okay, let's get into why, uh, you know, my my brother uh, got to know you and what you're doing. And, and, and I guess my listeners need to know that you're quite the comedian. Okay, so uh, you, you know, you you were like I all my listeners know who Jerry Clower was, okay. That's right. And uh and of course the knock him out John stories and all of the things that go with, with Jerry. But one thing about coon hunters is they like to hunt and they like to talk. When they're That's not exactly coon hunting, right. they're talking about it. They're talking <laughs> about so their dogs, they're talking about each other. And I know you have got a lot of stories to share, and they don't all have to be coon hunting stories, but I've listened to you, and my sides are still sore from yes, listening sir. to some of your stuff. So I want you to just feel free to let it rip with some of the stories that come to mind for you. Uh, well, you know, I grew up that with two heroes, my dad and Jerry Clower, so I started studying uh even my uncles i just if somebody was a great storyteller i just started hanging out with them and i guess my favorite coon hunting story to tell you know is uh uh jerry mcbride that guy I was just talking about he he went to kentucky and and got a walker dog and it, the dog's name was hard times and he got an unbelievable pedigree and uh we have put some money. He was buying him. He had put some money down to hunt him, but he hadn't paid all the money yet. We were, we were kind of trying him out. I'll never forget it. So we, we go hunt with this other guy named Sammy 
And Sammy's got a dog he's real proud of, and we turn them out. We're in Pittsview, Alabama now in a swamp, and it is freezing cold. It's 20 degrees. Mm-mm. And we got waders on, and I mean, it, it seemed like they struck. They, I mean, just immediately they struck. Well, hard times was real good on the tree, but he, he wasn't he – wasn't, above average on the trail so we had a little old mealy my female <laughs> and uh named june we we put her out with him but she was money on the trail but she wouldn't fight nothing as soon as it got ugly she went back to the truck but she could get you to the tree mm-hmm. so they worked together so man we turned them out and i mean they struck well hard times ain't struck no sandwich dog is just going nuts and and but june the little old dog's backing him up and we take off down through there. And I mean, when we get there, there's about, we got to go walk through probably 30 yards of water. I mean, it's 20 degrees. We're busting ice. Mm-hmm. We get over and he's on an old dead tree on a little, in the middle of a beaver pond on an island. And then there's a big live tree beside it. So we start shining, squalling, shining, squalling, nothing. Mm-mm. And you could tell you, you've been there many times, and a lot of guys <laughs> listening have been yeah. there many times. Your dog is, is really raising the ruckus, and you're starting to get a little nervous because ain't nothing up there. Mm-hmm. And so we shine a squall. Sammy said, "Well, you know, sometimes there'll be a hole in the tree, even though it looks good." So we we traced every branch, every limb up and down the trunk of that tree, trying to find a hole for a coon to be in. There just ain't one. And ma'am, I mean, we have got Sammy. And, 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 and hard times ain't, he, he ain't hit a bit. So, I mean, his dog's looking a little silly. And all of a sudden, old Sammy said this. He said, this happened one time before, boys. He said, I'm going to tell y'all what. Y'all turn out them lights, sit down and be quiet. The coon ain't got here yet. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's a good dog. I don't care what nobody that's says. That's a good dog. right. Beat him to the tree. <laughs> Boy, there's a million di- well. My mother used to say, Steve, I told you a million times not to exaggerate. But anyway. (laughs) Well, we never let uh, facts get in the way of telling a good story. That's right. We have to embellish them a little bit. But, man, there are a lot of excuses. You know, uh, coon hunters come up with a lot of excuses about why there's no coon up the tree. And one of the latest ones, Lee, is is medicine and it re, uh, medical, and it really does, there seems to be some truth to it that these dogs have thyroid problems and it affects ah. their nose. And uh, I just got word about a dog. I spent a lot of time working with that dog and had all kinds of hopes that he was going to be the world world beater. And he got to missing, like, you know, beating that coon to the tree <laughs> so yeah. bad. And then I found out that he, I, I let him go, but I found out that he had thyroid problems and he's on medication and he's treeing raccoons right and left now. So, you know, it's kind of crazy, but we do have a lot of excuses, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, tell I used to, yeah. I, I used to like those nights when uh, you was talking about love to talk. Uh, we, we'd be getting ready to go. And uh, but at, at that point in my life, I don't get to go as much anymore. I've got rheumatoid arthritis and got both my knees replaced. But So I only go with them when it's kind of on an easy night. But 
back then you talk about that fellowship, that, that mm-hmm. storytelling and that laughing. I remember thinking I was 18 years old. I was like, man, I hope it's cold enough to build a fire tonight. <laughs> Cause if they built a fire, uh-huh. There was going to be some talking, but if, it, <laughs> if they didn't think it was cold enough to build no fire, everybody just hunted hard. I always wanted to be around that fire with them guys and hear them telling stories. Isn't it the truth? Isn't it the truth? You, you know, we go each year out to the White River National Wildlife Refuge in Arkansas, and we ran a duck hunting uh, lodge there for a week. And the best part of the whole thing is, of course, we eat a lot, way more than we should. But the best part of the whole thing is after the hunt's over and we get back to the lodge and we get sitting around in there kicking back and the stories start rolling. You yes, know, sir. and that yes, is absolutely the best time. And and for those that are younger, uh, getting into the sport, or maybe you're an older guy and you've got your kids raised and balls over and all that, and you you've got a new hobby, uh, you'll find that the fellowship, and the camaraderie, is really the core of this sport. That's exactly sure. right. Yeah. Well, what can you tell me, uh, uh, Lee, today that's going to tickle the funny bone on these listeners that I've got here? Tell us, uh, for, first of all, tell me about, uh, you go around a lot speaking. In fact, you're up there in South Carolina as we're, we're talking today. But tell, tell me a little bit about your ministry and about what you do. Okay. It's just, uh, it's all based on storytelling. So I fell in love with storytelling when I was young. I went to Bible college. I thought I would all I would ever do as pastor. I only wanted to do two things my whole life. Uh, my whole life, I wanted to be a high school football coach or be a preacher. So mm-hmm. I go to Bible college. I take pastoral ministry major. I come out there, graduated. I go to work. I'm a youth pastor up in West Virginia. Uh, oh, praise the yeah, Lord. Kids the right ground. Right there. I lived in Sissonville and was yeah. at, it lived at you pastor Charleston for a little while and then moved to Gainesville, Georgia. And then, uh, uh, was my dad's youth pastor. That was the greatest time of ministry for 11 years. And then I took a church and I was miserable mm-hmm. and two things happened. I, I started seeing that as social media was just starting to come in and I was playing, I was a youth pastor and it wasn't even Facebook then. I forgot what it was called. MySpace or something. And I, but you know what I noticed is that no matter how quick the culture changed, people still love stories. Oh, yeah. And it's still true right here today. I mean, yep. now the big thing that's coming is artificial intelligence. You know, that's the catchphrase, AI. Is it AI? <laughs> but even then, people are still going to love to hear good stories. So throughout the year, here's what I do. I do about 30 to 40 wild game suppers a year, stay over and preach on Sunday. I preach 45 out of 52 Sundays a year to a different church somewhere. Mm-hmm. But in the summer, I do five weeks of youth camp. I've already done two. I got three more to go this summer as of today. But then in August, I just hit the road and I do 100 high school football team talks. And it's called a water break. And all I ask the coaches is give me one water break, put them on a knee, Give them some water and give me five minutes, and I just tell them a story. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it, it, everything I do, even this men's conference, corporate gigs, whatever, it's just based on storytelling. And I believe if you if if Jesus is your savior, you got a good story to tell. Well, absolutely, 
Absolutely. And my listeners know that I, you know, they know my stance on my faith. I have not tried to uh, make this podcast particularly a religious podcast. Right. I, right. I, uh, I know that these guys love to hunt and fish and do all the things in the outdoors. And, and, uh, so it's, you know, we've, I've kept it kind of in that frame, but, uh, you know, we got to be anchored, you know, we got to have purpose in our lives and, uh, and, uh, you know, we, we that are Christians know that we found that in the Lord. You told me you're going to be uh, actually you're, you're booked, so to speak, as a comedian on this, uh, this conference and all you want to. Since this is going to air at least a week and a week and a half afterwards, you want to share a little bit of what you're going to share with the people up there in South Carolina? Well, sometimes I just read the room. That's at 9 o'clock at night. But one story I usually always tell is when I was in the third grade, my dad comes in. We have a family meeting. He sells his business, and we move to Lakeland for him to go to Bible college. My dad and his partner in 1974 drove to Flippin, Arkansas and come back home with an 18-foot Ranger bass boat with, you know, live whales and all that. Now, that you say that's not a big deal. I know a lot of guys have got that. Not 1974 you did. <laughs> and, I mean, people used to stop and look at, stop and look at it like, you know, it, it was so new in town. Mm -hmm. He was big time. At, boy, he sold his business, sold that boat. And we moved to Lakeland, Florida, and my life just changed. I mean, we weren't wealthy by any means, but, I mean, it got frugal. Every morning in Georgia, you know, I started out with Frosted Flakes, being old Tony the Tiger. I've always loved Frosted Flakes. We get down to Lakeland. I'm still eating Frosted Flakes, but it's just a yellow box. Got two black words on it, Frosted Flakes. I'm like, where'd Tony go, Daddy? I mean, what's going on? Our life changed. And I'll never forget, there was a boy that lived two houses down from us. Now, he really wasn't any bigger than me, but he was two years older than me, and he is a bully. Now, that word gets thrown a lot around now. And mm -hmm. I'm, I, I want to go on record saying I ain't for any kind of bullying. I don't like to see nobody being bullied on, you know, whether it's words. Or, but back in them days, bullies were physical. I mean, he tried to. Hold, put my face in that bed one time, and he hit me all every time. I mean, he was a physical bully. Well, he put the word out. I didn't do nothing to him. And he put the word out that if he caught me outside my house, he is going to stomp me. And I would like to tell all these hound-loving, hunting brothers of ours in this fraternity that I, I had courage and faced him, but that ain't what I did. I began to dodge him. I began to check, see if he's outside. I, you know, I was, you ever see your Andy Griffith when old guy tells Barney, if I catch you out your uniform, <laughs> I'm going to wear true. you out, and that's he true. just wears his uniform everywhere? <laughs> right. That's exactly how I felt. But one day, I stepped out my front door, and I didn't check. And he was out there, and, I, you know, that, I didn't know it, but I guess back even then I had ADD. I know I had an F in science and an F in uh, mathematics too. So, but I stepped out that front door and one, that old boy made a tactical error. He, he said something about my mama mm -mm. and I'm going to tell you, you can leave my mama, Bear Bryant and Earnhardt, better leave them three out of it or somebody's <laughs> going to get skinless. And when he said that, the fear left me and I gathered up 
And I'm telling you, I tried, I swung hard as I could, and I missed his whole head. And he took my momentum, threw me down on the dirt. I'm face down the dirt, and he is wearing the back of my head out, and the whole neighborhood's watching. I can still hear the sound effects. Poof. Poof. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I hope he gets tired in a minute. This is embarrassing. And all of a sudden, I heard a weird noise. I ain't never heard nothing like it before or since. It was a metallic noise, and it was gaining momentum. It was, ooh, boom, he flies off of me, and I turn around and look, and my six-year-old brother had hit him in the head with a pogo stick. <laughs> I, he just <laughs> knocked him, and we jumped on that boy and beat him like a rented mule. We wore him out. And then, you know, and, and a lot of times a story like that, here's how I tied in. There's a scripture that says Jesus is a friend, sticks closer than a brother. And yeah. I needed my brother that day. And, you know, the Lord's got a pogo stick. He'll knock the devil off of you. But that's one of my favorite stories to tell. <laughs> yeah. I'll for sure tell that tonight. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. But really what changed my life, if you really want to kind of get down to it, mm. is that hunting poem. Yeah, I was I was pastoring a church in a small little South Georgia town. I had started been asked him to go speak at these wild game suppers when he first started, and I knew that was what I was called to do. And I took a year, and I I wrote a poem that describes being in the woods when the woods wake up, and because my dad was old school when you when you went deer hunting, my daddy. You were in the stand. I'm not mean on the way. I don't mean going up the ladder. I mean, we were in the stand one solid hour before daylight. He just believed in getting in there and letting them woods wake up and get still. Mm -hmm. And I just wrote it. I took a year. I never wrote it down until I had to do it for a print when they were doing a poster. And I just, when I was in the truck by myself or I was by myself, I just kept working on it. And that little poem when the woods wake up changed my life. And that's why I'm an evangelist today. It connects with outdoorsmen. And that, that, that really is what got me going. Well, Lee, that's, uh, you know, it definitely impressed my brother. And, uh, do you want to share that with us? Well, sure. I guess, you know, on, on the way out here, I, on the way, you know, going out of here today, I'd love to do it. I can do it right now. And, uh, well, I tell you what, if you've got another story or two that you'd like to share or about something about uh, that that you've encountered out there and you and working with these football teams and I know that you're a chaplain for a corporate organization and uh, yes, and a lot lot of things like that. Tell us a little bit about that and then we are going to close the program out today with okay. that poem but i you're such an interesting guy i want i want to dig down peel back the 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 onion here just a little bit you right. you live in alabaster alabama yes sir now that is i the, the only time i ever heard the word alabaster i think was from the bible wasn't it right yeah. yes sir what tell me about alabaster alabama well i can tell you i didn't even have to pray about that decision here's how that got made my wife, my beautiful wife that I met in Bible college, uh, followed me to West Virginia. Then she followed me to Gainesville, Georgia. Then she followed me to Columbus, Georgia. And then she followed me down there to the Okie Swamp at Pearson, Georgia. 
Mm. And when I said, I feel like God's called me to start traveling and speaking, she had followed me and never, never even complained one time. We've been married this July, be 35 years. Wow. But she said, I'm going to ask one thing. I said, what? She said, if you're going to be traveling, I want to go home. And and that's, that's how that happened. That's mm-hmm. my wife's hometown. That's where I she grew see. up. And uh, she's got a big family there. And my kids were, my kids are grown. And then both of them have given me grandbabies now. But they were middle school aged. And they were, you know, I was gone every weekend. So they, it, it was just a smart move. And we thoroughly love Alabaster. Now, it's, I'm <laughs> sure a lot of guys listening to this program will understand what I'm saying. I love it, love it, love it. It's growing a little too fast for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you back can't tell when you leave Alabaster on I-65 and get to Birmingham now. And I mean, we, we may try to move a little further south, but it's a great town. I'm proud to be a part of it. Yeah. Well, you talk about that. You know, I was here in Central Florida in the 60s when I went to Southeastern. And uh, all around Polk County in that area was mostly orange groves and cattle pastures. Uh, and now it's wall-to-wall people. I mean, they're building <laughs> right and left. One uh, subdivision here out off of uh, uh, Highway 54 going toward Plant City from from uh, Newport Ritchie, uh, one area there they're putting 5,000 new homes in there. Just everywhere you look, you know. But, uh, uh, yeah, I travel up through Alabama every once in a while. I've got a good friend of my listeners know about Nubbin Moore, Arnold Nubbin Moore. He's just a little thing when he's born. They said, but he looked like a nubbin. And it stuck with him his whole whole life. But he's a coon hunter, lives in Sterrett, Alabama, which is just yeah. a little bit out of out of Birmingham. I know so, right where it is. He's yeah. on two eighty going out toward Chelsea. Exactly. His wife yeah. is from Chelsea. So yeah. yeah. And uh great, great people. I love the people of Alabama there. But I was going to ask you. When we uh, entered, when I introduced you, but I looked, I peeped on your Facebook page, and I answered that question, and I'll tell you a little story that goes with it. You mentioned uh, uh, Columbus, Georgia, and all. I was with an organization called PKC, Professional Kennel Club, and we had an event uh, right there across the river on the Georgia side from Eufaula, Alabama. What's that little town right there? Do you Georgetown? Yes, Georgetown, exactly. And uh, and then we moved over to Eufaula to a real nice civic center there for this event. Uh-huh. And my brother Randy, who you know very well, likes to play music, and he plays drums. And he and his friend Clinton Collins and some of the boys, I hired them to come down and play for the bank awards banquet for this event. And when they got down there... Uh, they were practicing there in the in the room, getting set up before all the hunters came in. And Black Gold Dog Food sponsored this thing, and they had the whole room festing with black and gold uh, helium balloons and all this stuff. It was a big deal. And they, somebody in the kitchen overheard them say that they were going to do a song that they had written, and part of the lyrics of that was Roll Tide. Uh-huh. And this gal in the kitchen said, well, now, wait a minute here. <laughs> what 
We don't do that down here. <laughs> We're war eagle down this part. Of the <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, pretty intense. Yeah, it is. My buddy Nubbin, no, he's a tight man. He's and, and I, my listeners have heard this little story, and this is not about me, but I got to tell it right here. When the last game that Bear Bryant coached in Nayland Stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee, was. Uh, I was there living in Tennessee. This is before I went to work for the dog registries. And my brother-in-law had come from Florida, he and his wife. And I had two tickets for the Tennessee-Alabama football game at Nayland Stadium. And the women were so excited to go to the World's Fair. Guess where we went that day? Where? We went to the World's Fair. <laughs> Uh-huh. That's and uh, Tennessee did beat Alabama in that game, and when when the last uh, the last touchdown or the game was over, it sounded like a space shuttle went off in Nayland Stadium. But but the opportunity to see Bear Bryant in that that, that herring or uh, houndstooth hat coach. Oh yeah was a missed opportunity of a lifetime for me. I've never been a huge Alabama fan, but I have huge respect for the Alabama football team and their program. And, and their coach is from West Virginia, I will. Uh, well, you Saban. know, there's a, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of successful college coaches that have come from West Virginia. To, yeah. The guy at Texas A&M, uh, Fisher, Jimbo yeah, Fisher Jimbo, from West Virginia, uh-huh, too. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, anyway, Plus, I, let's not forget Don Knotts, mm-hmm. the yeah. original Barney Fife. <laughs> I mean, it, that's all you need to say right now. Man, you can go a lot of places in West Virginia and be in Mayberry. If, that's if, right. That's if, right. If you don't don't know it, I I mentioned to you real quick, and I got to get into this and ask you earlier, and you said no relation. But when I was young man hunting those hills and hollows of West Virginia, we had this one place you had to start at the top of a mountain and drop four miles down an old CC grade. The Civilian Conservation Corps built a lot of roads and bridges and things back in the Depression days and this was an old cc trail and you walked it clear down to the head of camp creek and back up on the ridge on the other side and way out the ridge and all of a sudden it opened up into a beautiful meadow and out there was an old dog house and in that house lived a guy that lived alone apparently he was married his wife lived in town with his children but for some reason, he didn't like that city life. And if if you knew what I'm calling a city, a town called Egeria, West Virginia, it's no city. It's just a few dwellings. But his name was Johnny McBride. And I'll never forget Johnny, you know. I think Johnny, like in Andy Griffith, he made a little bit of the, of the remedy. A little bit yes, of sir, the medicine. medicine. The yeah. recipe. The yes, recipe. Sir. There you go. But I never did sample the recipe or see any there when I was there. But the, the rumor was that's how Johnny kind of got along. But, yeah, it's a small world, isn't it? It is. It sure yeah. is. Yeah. Well, Lee, I know you're a busy man. I've thoroughly – we've been at it about 35 minutes here. 
But I want, I'm just itching to hear about this, uh, this when the woods wake up. And I want you to share that with us, if you will. All right. Well, uh, you know, I wrote this poem. Uh, my son had just started going with me. He must have been five or six. And he, obviously he was too young to hunt, but he would go with me in the evenings. You know, a lot of guys, they, they, mess, they mess their kids up hunting too hard too early. And so I wouldn't take him in the morning. I'd carry him in the evening right before dark. I, you know, we'd sit on a food plot and he'd see these deer. But I remember my daughter, I just always wanted my daughter to understand why we loved it and my wife. And so I started writing this poem really for them is all mm -hmm. I was doing. I just wanted to explain it to them and it just exploded. It's just about a, a morning in the deer stand. It's called the woods when the woods wake up and it's changed my life. It's the reason that I do these wild game suppers and all. It, it just, it changed my whole life. So here, here it goes. You ready? I am more than ready. All right. Cold. I mean, the kind that chills to the bone, the kind of cold that when you breathe, you can feel your lungs groan. That kind of cold when the wind brings a sting to your eyes, they're begging for moisture and there's no tears to cry. When it's black so dark you can hardly even see, it brings a strange kind of fear, but a reverent kind of peace. And you're peering out the window of your warm, toasty home with a big cup of coffee and the weather channel on with one thought that just keeps bombarding your mind. You better hurry up. You've fallen behind, because the truth is, don't matter how severe the chill in the air, you won't be happy until you are out there. Now, if you ain't ever been there, you won't understand. I'll try to explain. Not sure that I can. It's a strange thing it draws on an outdoors man. And I'm sure to some people, the thrill's not enough. I'm sure to others, the conditions seem tough. But I'm going to be in that bottom when the woods wake up. While your first customer rustles around his nest, it's that little muscle-bound squirrel with that white furry chest. He bounces at that limb like he was launched from a spring. He's got a job to do, a song to sing, limb after limb, place after place. He's zigging and zagging at a furious pace. But you better keep that little critter in sight. He will sneak around behind and bring your heart true fright. I can't tell you how many times I've death gripped that stock, clicked on that safety or pull that hammer to lock. Cause I hear old big boy working through the trees to turn around, see a little rat bouncing around in the leaves. The truth is he drives the deer hunter insane, but the woods without him would not be the same. Next thing you hear are the birds of the air. They're singing their song to let you know they there. Still dark, hardly anything's even begun to move as that old barred owl gives that last who cooks for you. Then down the woods just a piece on the side of a tree, you hear a strange little tapping turns into a familiar beat. It's that red-headed woodpecker working so hard for such a small treat. Then over in the beaver pond, there's a splash and a dive as wood ducks fly in at 105. Just behind you, there's a sound that your ears know well. It's that good morning, that old Bob White quail. Then just over the ridge with a thundering squabble, you hear that old Tom Turkey hammer that good morning gobble. Now, if you've never been there, 
you won't understand. I'll try to explain. Not sure that I can. It's a strange thing that draws on an outdoors man. And I'm sure to some people the conditions seem tough. I'm sure to others the odds a little rough. But I'm going to be in that bottom when the woods wake up. Now, some mornings are special. Some mornings are rare. You glad you made the sacrifice to roll out and be there. I've seen him come by with that arrogant little hop. That little red fox with them black furry socks. I've seen the world's greatest fisherman by far. It's the otter. I've watched that cottonmouth snake ease through the swamp water. Well, my heart's experienced the world's greatest scare to be in a tree and see that graceful lumbering black bear. But the creature that brings me to the woods without fail is that beautiful deer, the old elusive whitetail. Now, some people say the sport's just about to kill, and that's not true. There are many great appeals, like watching a little fawn with his awkward knobby knees, thinks he's a 10-point buck rubbing his bald head on a tree, or watching them doze as they try to slip through the sage, and the last one looks behind her, and you can feel your heart rage. And on certain mornings when the planets line up and Mother Nature extends to you that strange kind of luck, there he is big boy horns out past his ears i've seen him make grown men leave the woods in pure tears i'm sure in every deer camp there's a story that'll cost you on our lease we call the big boy waltosha now some men would consider it the ultimate thrill to mount waltosha and to brag about your kill but that is not the experience that I rank number one. I like to be in that tree watching them deer move while I'm hunting with my son. And if you've never been there, you won't understand. And I'll try to explain there ain't no way that I can. It's a beautiful thing, draws on an outdoors man. And I'm sure to some people the thrill's not enough. I'm sure to others the condition too tough. But I'm going to be in that bottom when the woods wake up. That is awesome, Lee. Man, I appreciate that, that so much. I love it. Awesome. That absolutely it tells it like it is. There's not much I can add to that, folks. Well, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate it. I got, I got skin on, they, they, they knocking on the door, but I have thoroughly enjoying being on gone to the dogs well lee you uh, i hope will i put you on the spot i hope you'll come back i know as you've many got... times as you want and i've got a couple friends i want to shoot your way to that are way bigger about dogs than me well we'll look forward to talking to them too little brother knew what he was talking about that that poem gave me uh, chills, and I know that anybody out there that loves the outdoors, as my listeners do, will deeply, deeply appreciate that. Friends, that's going to end our podcast for today. It's a little shorter than usual, but, man, is it packed with with uh, good stuff. Lee, you're not only a, a great speaker, a, a, comi- a storyteller, but you're also a great poet, and uh, I will gladly welcome the opportunity to have you back on on the program again, sir. I really uh, wish you the very best and pray that God will be with you as you continue your ministry, and, and we'll look forward to having you on Gone to the Dogs again.
All right. Well, thank you. It was a high honor for me. God bless everybody and roll tide. <laughs> okay, folks. That's Lee McBride uh, coming to you this morning from uh, the state of South Carolina where he's speaking tonight. Uh, we just want to thank my brother Randy Fielder for introducing me to Lee and uh, uh, what a great program that's been. Well, I'll be on the road for a couple of weeks. Uh, Miss Ella and I are heading up to graduation for her granddaughter, Alyssa, up in the great state of New Jersey. And I'm going to be up there uh, doing some fly fishing. And uh, I, I didn't realize that I could do that that close to the Big Apple. But uh, I found uh, a very uh, likely looking trout stream and I'm going to get up there and try to fool some of those New Jersey trout with, with my flies. But, uh, uh, we'll be, uh, continuing the podcast, uh, each, uh, Monday we'll have a new one for you. Thank you so much for listening. If anyone asks you where's Steve Fielder, you tell them, well, he's down there in Alabama with, uh, Lee McBride. They're out there in a deer stand waiting for the woods to wake up. God bless you, folks. Since our episode this week is a little shorter than normal, I thought I would add a postscript in this way. Recently, on a podcast with Corey Groover, he mentioned a quote from my book, Gone to the Dogs, A Coon Hunter's Journey, about how to make your mark on the sport. I thought about this for a while, and I thought, well, you know, there's some meat on this bone that maybe I should share with my listeners. So if you'll indulge me, I will uh, read to you now the portion of that chapter called 10 Things Every Coon Hunter Should Know. It's item number seven, how to make your mark on the sport. We all know guys that have made a real difference in our sport. Some are breeders, some are handlers, some are innovators, and some are known for their integrity under all types of situations. There are others whose names appear in the barred lists of the various registries that have made a negative mark. I'm assuming those of you reading this would prefer that your mark be a positive one. Or perhaps you're just a guy like my dad was that just wants to go out in the woods with its hounds and thoroughly enjoy the experience with no desire to be in the limelight of the sport. Regardless of whether we set out to make a mark in this game, we will make it one way or the other. One lesson I learned many years ago is that integrity is something very important to anyone wishing to make his or her mark, and it's strictly up to the person whether that integrity remains intact or is lost. Integrity is not something someone can take away from us. If we lose it, it's because we choose to do so through our actions. Over the years at the registries, I learned more about some people than others would likely know, and it wasn't all good. People have done some incredibly stupid things to get ahead in this game, and it came home to bite them. 
Over the years, we also went to court several times. It was usually because someone let the desire to win at all costs get the better of them, and they wound up on a barred list. Don't be that guy. If you want to go to the head of the class in this game, breed a better litter of pups by doing your homework. Train a better hound that will win prestigious titles for you by studying the methods that have worked for others or by developing common sense methods of your own. Have the desire and patience to really learn what makes a coonhound tick and apply that knowledge to your hounds to the point that others will see the results and come to you for advice. You can also make a negative mark by lying about a hound you want to sell, pitching your dog on track or tree, looking for loopholes in the rules to ensure a win when you're getting your butt handed to you on a platter by a better hound in the cast, and by employing the big I in every conversation you have with other hunters. Doing these things will make you the subject of many conversations around the clubs, the kind of conversations that will suddenly change or get quiet when you walk up to join the crowd. Again, don't be that guy if you really want to make your mark in this sport. 